you want to take your Bibles and open them there to Psalm 39. And I wonder if you have ever confronted the cold, hard facts of life. I'm not talking about like, you know, the birds and the bees facts of life. I'm talking about the fact that you probably will never be rich. You probably will never be famous. You're probably not going to write, a, you know, the great American novel or compose a top 40 hit. I'm sorry if I'm the one to break this news to you, okay? <laughs> one time when I was teaching junior high, um, it might have been the first year that I was teaching, uh, I, I happened, at, I don't even know how, it just happened at one point to make an offhand comment about Santa Claus not being real. <sighs> Should I have said that? <laughs> Too late. Um, and I, I found out later that one of my junior high students did not know that. And he went home and told mom and dad and I got in big trouble for you know blowing it up you know poor kid but anyways <laughs> sorry if I'm breaking the news to you here but I you know listen right none of us are very likely to compete at any point in the Olympic Games okay um, it's probably highly unlikely that anyone in this room is going to ever serve as president of the United States okay. you're not going to be able to fly like Superman sorry when I was a kid, I remember watching Christopher Reeve, you know, fly on TV. I thought that was so cool. Not going to do it. Um, chances are really good you're not going to be able to bake a souffle that doesn't fall. <laughs> Sorry. Okay? Just, I'm just saying it. Okay? <clears throat> the sooner you face the facts, the better. Really. Now, have you ever listened to a recording of your voice? Anybody ever listened to yourself, a recording of your voice? Um, did it sound strange to you? Well, you know what? You need to realize that that's how you sound to everybody. Okay. Just get over it. Okay. Just get used to it. That's your voice. Trust me, I, 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 I'm the one that edits the recordings here and make the CDs for everybody who asks for a, a copy of a message. I have to hear myself all the time. I, I'm the same way as you, Okay. You see, the truth is there's a lot of facts that we struggle to accept. A lot of things that are difficult, challenging facts that we have to face at some point or another. And sometimes as Christians, we're faced with questions about life. We're faced with questions about why things happen the way that they do. We want answers to those questions. And sometimes we're even tempted to make demands of God. Just read the book of Job if you need an example of that, right? But is it really wise for us to ask those questions, especially in public? Well, in Psalm 39, we see that David struggled with this very thing. And he was able to hold his tongue for a little while. But eventually he was overcome by the turmoil that was within him. And he began to speak to God. But what's interesting is we find that even as he began to form the questions with his mouth, he also began to understand in his heart the answer. 
That observation reminds me that God uses prayer not just as a means of communication or fellowship. He doesn't just use prayer as a means by which we can receive the things that we ask for. He uses prayer to teach us the truth. Sometimes as we begin to pray for answers, even as we are forming the question, our heart begins to understand the truth. And we begin to understand and have knowledge of the truth that God wants us to see. Now I think what we're going to see is by the time we get to the end of Psalm 39, you're going to see David comes up with three essential truths for life in this world. And I'd like to share those with you today. These are hard facts of life. I won't promise that these are going to be pleasant or enjoyable to consider necessarily. I'm not promising to give you a message where we walk out of here with, you know, birds chirping and butterflies flying and flowers blooming and everything will be pleasant and good. We know better than that. We've seen better than that, even here in the Psalms. But we need to know the truth. And that's what we're going to claim, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So I like to read Psalm 39, and, and you can just follow along. I'll have it on the screen here, and you can, read, you can follow along with me here as I read it. And then I'm going to ask uh, a word of prayer, and we'll ask God to help us then as we study Psalm 39 this morning. So look at what he says here uh, in the beginning of Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me to know the end and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. Salah. And surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. When with rebukes you correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is vapor. Salah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you. A sojourner as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me, that I may regain strength before I go away and am no more. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we study Psalm 39. Heavenly Father, we... 
read verses together, read this passage of Scripture together this morning, and we realize that there are times in our life when we struggle to come up with answers, when we struggle to understand exactly what you're doing and why. Lord, those can be times of great difficulty. And yet, when we come to your Word and we see that that even the saints of old, great men and women of God who lived for you and who stood for you, they struggled too. We realize that we can enter into their prayers. That we can take David's prayer and we can make it our own. Lord, help us as we do that to direct our hearts to You. Lord, give us insight into life from Your perspective. And help us to hope in You today. Lord, I pray that You would guide me as I speak. Lord, help me to be Your instrument to speak Your truth to Your people. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of sin. That you would confront us with a wrong thoughts and a wrong understanding. And help us to become like you want us to be today. I'll praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the first verses here really introduce us to the psalmist's dilemma As he really, you can see in these opening verses that David is struggling here to to put into practice advice that he's given to others. By the way, isn't that always the hard thing? When you've told others how they should act or how they should respond and then you find yourself in a situation where you have to take your own advice. It's not easy to do. That's one of the reasons why in some cases it might be better just not to say anything at all. Because when you give advice, then you have to live by it. And David has given others advice. Just in recent Psalms, Psalm 37 and verse 34 that we studied two weeks ago, he wrote this, Wait on the Lord and keep His way and He shall exalt you. Then in Psalm 38 and verse 15, he said when he was suffering and he was all alone, He said, in you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear, O Lord, my God. But as time goes by, and things don't get better, it becomes harder and harder to hold on to hope. David had told others to wait on the Lord. He told them to rest in the Lord without worrying. Remember Psalm 37? Do not fret. Do not fret. Do not fret. Now, David is facing an extended time of suffering and trial with no sign of relief. I almost picture David here, and and by the way, if you look at the title of the psalm, There's no real historical information here to tell us when this psalm was written or what the context is. So it's very hard for us to know. But I speculate, I'll I'll admit that I speculate that this is David as an old man. 
His strength beginning to fade and the weight of the years of his life beginning to take its toll. And even after decades of faithful service to the Lord and David's sincere attempts to live for the Lord, he looks around and what he sees is that the wicked are as strong as ever and sin is just as prevalent as always. His indignation is stirred up by the boasting of arrogant men. And you can almost hear the question that he never voices in this psalm. Why do the wicked succeed while the godly suffer? Why do my enemies grow stronger while I grow weak and tired of this daily struggle? Where is my help? You ever feel that way? Do you ever struggle with those questions? What's interesting here in these opening verses is that he made a covenant that he would not speak. Right? He says in verse 1, I will guard my ways. What he's saying is he's going to be alert. He's going to pay attention to his way of life. He's going to pay attention to what he does. I think the problem sometimes that we run into is that we really don't give a whole lot of thought to what we should say or do. We end up causing all sorts of pain and suffering for others with our speech especially. Because we just don't think about it. David says here, I'm intentionally going to guard my ways. It's not an accident when the Apostle Paul wanted to prove that all men were guilty of sin in Romans 3, that he pointed to our corrupt and sinful speech. There is none righteous, no, not one. James 3 says that your tongue is a fire a world of iniquity that is set on fire by hell. And if that is the nature of the tongue, and if you walk around all day carrying one, you do, by the way, then it would be really foolish. It is immeasurably foolish for us to speak carelessly. And so David I think commendably here, says, I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. He's got questions that he wants to ask of God. But he's not going to speak carelessly and he's not going to speak presumptuously, especially not in the presence of unbelievers. And so he kept his promise. Maybe he even took it too far. Look at verse 2 and verse 3. He says, I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good. But what happened when he tried to, to keep it all bottled up inside of him? Maybe you've done this before. You got these questions, these burning questions, and you just struggle with this. You want to know what God is doing and why, and, and yet you stifle it and you try to keep it in. What happens? It just, it's like a fire. It says his sorrow was stirred up. The word sorrow there in verse 2 means 
pain of mind. This hurt. This was difficult. This was stirred up within him was pain and discomfort. And the more that he tried to contain it, the more it caused him pain inside. He says it was like a fire that was kindled within him. And the more that he tried to stifle it, the hotter it grew until at last he couldn't contain himself anymore. Now, scholars disagree over whether he was right to muzzle himself. Probably the majority that I read this week suggested that it was a good thing that he held his tongue from speaking sinfully, but that he probably went too far. I don't think it really makes a huge difference either way. What we do see very clearly here is that when David began to speak, he didn't foolishly charge God with injustice. He didn't accuse God of failing to keep his promises. Instead, what he did is he sought understanding from the Lord. That's how he begins what he says in verse 4. Lord, make me to know. Lord, I'm trying to understand. Help me to see what you're doing. Give me understanding. Give me wisdom. Of course, James tells us that any man that lacks wisdom is to ask of God. And so it's a a good thing to pray for wisdom, for understanding, for knowledge from the Lord. That is a good thing to pray for. That's what we see David doing here. You see, with understanding, with wisdom, he is able to put his struggles into perspective. He's able to see his life the way God sees it. That's the kind of insight that we need to seek. And so even as he begins to ask for understanding and wisdom, David uncovers, if you will, three essential truths for life. The first one we find in those opening verses of his prayer, verses 4 and 5. It's this, life is short. Life is short. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man in his best state is but vapor. Did you know that life has a 100% mortality rate? It's true. Nobody gets out of this alive. I, I know. Some of you are theologically inclined enough to say, well, maybe the rapture will take place and we'll escape death. Okay. Maybe you'll join Enoch and Elijah as being the only others who ever escaped life without dying. But that's only going to be a very small minority of the Christians who ever lived. The fact of the matter is, I wouldn't bet on it. You need to prepare for the fact that this life ends for all of us the same way. Blaise Pascal wrote that we must define life backwards and then live life forwards. 
What he meant by that was, we have to know and understand how our life is going to end and then live today in light of that end. Right? We have to realize that life comes to an end. Is there anything that you would do differently today if you really believed that you could be gone tomorrow? Think about it. What would you do different today if you really believe that tomorrow it could be over? David asks the Lord, to show him just how short his life is. To help him to know the measure of his days. He's not asking here for, like, the date. God, tell me how many days I have left. He's not asking for God to show him how long his life is going to be. He's asking for an understanding of the measure. To measure means to compare it to some other standard, right? When we want to measure something, we compare that to an accepted standard. We have a ruler, a tape measure, and we hold it up to the thing we want to measure. And by comparing it to the standard, we get a sense of how big it is. That's what David is saying. God, help me to see what my life really amounts to so I can really understand what this is all about. Again, this is about getting God's perspective. David even hints at how God sees us there at the end of verse 4, that I may know how frail I am. That word frail means tending to die or cease to exist. God, help me to see that my life is tending to be over. That, that I'm hanging by a thread. This really isn't a great revelation. I think we all know that life is short. We all know that nothing is guaranteed. But we need help putting it into perspective. We need God to make us understand the measure of our days. Just think about it this way. That housefly, you know, the one that's buzzing around your kitchen right now, annoying you, or maybe the one that's bothering you when you're trying to sleep in your bed and it's buzzing around the room and you can hear it and it's driving you nuts. That housefly is going to be dead within the next month. Average lifespan is only four weeks. Well, by comparison, I mean, your lifespan is something like a thousand times longer than that. Pretty great. Then, of course, you think about that white oak tree that you planted in your backyard. And if it's taken care of, that tree may still be standing when the United States celebrates its octocentennial. That's its 800th anniversary, by the way. I'm not really optimistic that we'll get that far. I'm just saying. (laughs) When you compare yourself and your lifespan of 70, 80, 90 years, maybe, when you compare it to the Lord himself who is eternal, you realize that it is nothing at all. That's exactly what David says there in verse 5. Lord, my age is as nothing before you. 
He says there that his, his days are handbreadths. That's the distance from one side of your palm to the other at the base of your fingers. It's one of the smallest measurements in the Hebrew Bible that they use the handbreadth. David says, this is how brief my life is. It's like a handbreadth. It's just, it's here and it's gone. And we marvel at a man or woman who lives to be 100 years old. But I like to do math, so I, I thought about that a little bit. And I thought, you know, we have about 6,000 years of recorded uh, earth history. If you live to be 100 years old, you will see less than 2% of the recorded history of earth in your lifetime. I mean, it's just not really that impressive. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to put you down if you're a few years older than I am today or if you're going for a target, you know. i got to get there. I'm going to get to 100. I'm going to get there. So. But you and I need to understand this life we're living is nothing but a vapor. It's a puff of steam that exists for a moment and then it vanishes completely away. Even if you're a child here this morning, you need to understand that your life will be over before you know it. It goes so fast. So what do we do? If we understand that life is short, what is David doing? Well, we need to pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom to live today in light of the shortness of life. going to be over quickly. So how do we live today knowing that this life is a vapor? We have to think about and understand our end. Now, I know that's uncomfortable, but we have to do it. It's a difficult truth for us to face. Now verse 6 starts what is another strophe of the psalm, I think because at the end of verse 5 you have that word salah. Which, which likely means a pause, a break. It might even have been a musical refrain, instructions for the choir on what to do for you know, a, a, an interlude. But he moves on in the next verses to a related topic. Not only is life short, but life is shallow. Life is shallow. Look at verse 6. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. I'm consumed by the blow of your hand. When with rebukes you correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is vapor. There we have it again. And here's the problem. Because we don't know the measure of our days, we end up wasting them. Pursuing empty and broken things. That's the issue that he begins with in verse 6. The tendency of mankind is to run back and forth, to busy themselves for nothing. 
Every man walks about like a shadow. But how much weight and substance does a shadow have? None. There's nothing there. He says we busy ourselves in vain. That word busy, you'll like this, verse 6. We, we, always talk, we always talk about how busy we are. That word busy there means to agitate yourself. Isn't that true? We get so busy. We agitate ourselves. We make ourselves anxious. For what? For what? For a shadow. For something that doesn't have substance. Do you get agitated, worked up, filled with anxiety over things which only pertain to this passing life? Listen. You may heap up riches, great piles of wealth and material possessions. But when you die, and you will, do you know who's going to take ownership of it? You say, well, I'll leave a will. Do you have any control over whether that's followed? Do you have any way to control and know what will happen to that stuff? No. He says, you can gather it all up. You do not know who will gather them after you're gone. So why do you make them the focus of your life now? David gives us a hint in verse 7 that he's he's begun to understand the issues that are at stake. Because he says that his longing and expectation, his hope is in the Lord. It's not for material goods. It's not for money. It's not for fame or power. Those are not the things that he desires. What does he desire here? Forgiveness of sins. A life of inner righteousness and peace that can only be found in God. That's what he talks about in verses 7, 8, 9. What is it that David longed for? His desire here, verse 8, that God would rescue him from his transgressions. Listen, we all, the Bible says, we're like sheep that go astray. That's what that word transgressions means. It's the idea of, of going our own way, refusing to submit to the authority of God rebelliousness it's the rebellious spirit that we all have right nobody can tell me what to do i want this so i'm going to do this david prays that god would deliver him from it I don't, I don't think that David is necessarily in these verses talking about a specific sin that he's guilty of. I think what David is saying here is, again, I picture him as an old man who's lived by faith. And as he grows older, he becomes even more aware of the sinful tendencies that are in his heart. 
And the older he gets, the more sensitive he becomes to the sin and the temptations that are around him. And the older he gets, and the more that he sees those things, and the more that he sees the power of his sinful flesh, the more that he longs for deliverance. Do you, do you relate to that at all? That as the days go on further and further down, and you grow each and every day, you grow in the Lord, and you walk with Him, and, and you love God, and you want to please Him, and you want to serve Him. And as time goes on, you begin to see that you're a lot more bent out of shape than you thought you were. And there's a lot more wrong inside of you than you ever knew. And the more that you begin to walk with God, the more you begin to see that there's, there's deeper and deeper and deeper problems and it just keeps going. <laughs> and the deeper you look, the deeper you dig, the more you uncover. And the more you begin to know the Lord and the more you begin to study His Word and you begin to in, infuse it into your life, then you begin to see more and more and you realize, wow, I just can't find the end of it. And then as time goes on, you begin to struggle and begin to be frustrated and it becomes very difficult because you want deliverance. You so want to be free of the sin that is inside of you, the sinful nature that you wrestle with. I think there's something in these verses that's akin to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7 and verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Now we have an advantage today when we read Psalm 39. We have an advantage. Paul had an advantage that David did not have. You see, David wrote Psalm 39 somewhere nearly a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. But you and I and the Apostle Paul, we live in the shadow of the cross. The work of Jesus Christ has already been done. So Paul, in that same verse, in Romans 7, can go on to say, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Yes, Lord Jesus Christ. He's the deliverer. David did not have that luxury. David cries out with frustration at the shallowness of life and the weakness of his sinful flesh. But for you and for me, it's different because we can experience the forgiveness of sins and the abundant life of Jesus Christ right now. And so what do we do? We recognize life is shallow and we pray. Pray that your hope might be in the Lord alone. There's nothing else in this life worth trusting in. Trust in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Then we come to the last two verses of Psalm 39. We get a little bit of a surprise. See, it doesn't really end the way that we would expect it to end. We come to the end of the psalm and we would expect David to say, okay, I prayed and I cried out and I'm comforted and so less and I'm going to praise God and I'm going to lift Him up. 
that's not what we get. These verses are a challenge. But there's another essential truth for life that we need to understand here. Life is short. Life is shallow. Life is a sojourn. Verse 12, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner, as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me that I may regain strength before I go away and am no more. These two verses present us with a challenge because they appear to contradict each other. You see, in, in verse 12, he prays that God would hear him and act on his behalf. But then in verse 13, he prays that, that God would look away from him. It's almost like on one hand he says, Lord, come near and help me. And then, no, 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 go away, go away. Please don't come too close. There's a tension here. And it's helpful for us to try to explain it. David says there in verse 12, I am a stranger with you. A sojourner as all my fathers were. See, this is the acknowledgement that that opens the door for understanding here. We have to acknowledge this truth. We have to see this truth if we're going to understand what God's perspective is. You see, a stranger is a resident alien. It's someone who is living in the land of his own free choice. But he's not a citizen. And so he is at the mercy of the native inhabitants of the land. That's what David calls himself here. David says, Lord, I am a stranger. I'm a resident alien. I'm living in this land, but I'm not a citizen. And I'm at the mercy of the owner of the land. David says, I'm here in this world. I'm here in this life. But it's not mine. I don't own it. I don't belong here. I'm not a citizen here. And so I'm at the mercy of you. David understood that he was a temporary resident of the earth, subject to the good favor of its owner. One thing, one of the implications of that is that we can't make demands. We don't get to make demands of God. We're strangers. We're sojourners passing through this life. We don't get to demand certain things. We don't have rights. You see, the sojourner doesn't get to say, I'm a, I'm a citizen. I claim my rights. There aren't any. He's completely at the mercy of the welfare of those who are citizens. And so David's prayer in verse 12 is a prayer for generosity from God. You see, I'm not going to demand, but I'm going to pray. Lord, be merciful to me. Lord, give me help. Be generous to me. I know you don't have to. You don't owe me anything, but Lord, come near and hear my cry. He says. See the tears that run down my face and be moved to help me. Now, 
That's one side of the coin. We call that God's mercy. We plead for mercy from God. God, I don't deserve anything from you. Be merciful to me. The other side of the coin... I'm sorry, I, should, I said that the wrong way. The other, that, that was the grace of God, asking for His favor. The other side of the coin is His mercy. And I think that's what verse 13 is all about. Because David hears, wants God to hear his cries. He wants God to act on his behalf, but he also wants God to be merciful to him in dealing with his sin. So even as we pray that God would help us, when we pray that God would bless us and provide for us and be gracious to us, what happens is that as God begins to move in our lives to help us, to strengthen us, to bless us, and to minister on our behalf, as He begins to draw close to us, our sin begins to really stand out in contrast. And it doesn't take very long before we begin to realize how unworthy we are that God would come near and how truly how truly abominable we are in sin. How, how disturbing it is, how filthy it is, how wrong it is. And as a result, we become uncomfortable. Because when God comes near, our sin becomes very powerful in our eyes. We begin to see it. And so there's this sense in which as we ask God to come near and minister to us, we become even more aware of our sin. And as a result, we, we must ask God to be merciful. God, don't destroy me. And that's what David is saying here. It, it, this is maybe how we ought to pray. Lord, come near and help me. I'm in distress. Don't ignore my tears and the cry of my heart. But Lord, when you come near, my guilt overwhelms me. It's more than I can bear. So please, don't destroy me on account of my sin. Be merciful to me. This is where this idea of being a pilgrim, I think, really comes into play. We need to pray that God would help us live as pilgrims in this world. Lord, help me. Help me to see my struggles and the difficulties of my life in that context that I'm passing through this life, that I'm looking for something better. But Lord, I also realize that the, the sins, the temptations, and the guilt of all of the things that are wrong, those things must be left behind in this life. If I'm to enjoy eternity in Your presence, O oh Lord, be merciful to me. And I think David is giving us this tension in this final prayer. And do, you lo do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior today? Has He forgiven you? Has He cleansed your sins? If not, or if you're not really even sure what I'm talking about, then let me invite you to consider the good news. That although you may be haunted by sinful thoughts, and the actions you've done. You can be forgiven. You can be made right with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And although this life may be filled with conflict, with pain, and with struggle, 
And although its pleasures may prove empty and unsatisfying, you can find hope, you can find joy, you can find peace by trusting in the Lord. The Bible says Jesus died for your sins and was buried, and on the third day day he rose again. So you could be set free from your sin. So you could enjoy a life of real meaning and purpose if you trust in Him. For those of you who already know the Lord, it can be very easy for us to lose sight of eternity. It can become easy for us to be frustrated in the here and now with all of the temptations, with all of the conflicts. But know this, that right beliefs lead to right thinking. Right thinking leads to right desires, and right desires leads to right actions. So the place for us to begin is with belief. We need to believe the right things. We need to believe the truth. You need to choose to believe the truths that David found here in Psalm 39. That your life is short. That this life is shallow. And that it's a sojourn. And as you do, you'll find your thoughts beginning to change as you see your life from God's perspective. Your desire will be for Him. So that your hope will only be in Him. And as the years go by, what you'll find is that you view yourself more and more as a pilgrim in this world. Just passing through on your way to your true home with the Lord. Let me just say this as I close. Passages like this one are in the Bible. In some part, at least, to help us to see that men and women of Scripture, men of courage and men of faith, they sometimes struggled to come to grips with what God was doing in their lives. And I think it helps us because you don't have to be afraid to speak openly and honestly with the Lord about your fears and about your feelings. The fact that this prayer is recorded in Scripture proves that God understands your frustration and your struggle. As one writer put it, He knows how men speak when they are desperate. So when you're desperate, turn to Psalm 39. Speak to the Lord. Seek understanding. Don't come and complain to me. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not caring about how you feel, but don't complain to me. Don't complain to your neighbor, your unsaved coworker. No. Go to the Lord. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's how we get right belief, which leads to right thinking and right desires. And right actions. Let's close with prayer.